Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we're welcoming Mer Lafferty, an author and podcast legend. Let's get started. On mic today, we have Mer Lafferty. How are you this fine evening? I'm doing great, Aaron. How are you? Doing great. You you are an accomplished author many times over. You are at five books now? I think so, yeah. Okay. It's hard to keep track with, like, podcasting and some self-pub stuff and that yeah i think five on the shelves you could get at the store sure right i uh i found your work in early 2008 uh when you were doing i should be writing and Mm -hmm. doing your book playing for keeps and you released that book as a podcast to try to build Mm -hmm. an audience through social media and for the benefit of our younger listeners that was a crazy idea at the time. People had thought you had lost <laughs> your mind. It was. And it was now, pretty crazy. There weren't a lot of us doing that. No. Uh, and now people don't even bat an eye. How does it feel looking back on that? It's weird. I mean, it's 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 really funny. I can see the the there, there's the weird pioneering feeling of knowing you were there when it started, and you work hard to try to get podcasting to become more mainstream and then it does, but then people don't actually remember the people who did it first. And then you're like, yay, I helped make this thing that nobody remembers I was part of. <laughs> so it's uh, you know, there every once in a while there'll be a big named author who's just like, I think I'll release my work via podcast or serialized. And then everyone will get go crazy and be like, Oh, this is the first person to do this. And the rest of us are like, no, no, no. 13 years ago, I think 14, somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's when it started. But, uh, you know, we did help bring it into the mainstream. And so I'm pretty proud about that. As well, you should be. I mean, your early uh, fan base was extremely rabid, extremely passionate. And I I, can, I actually have a, a paper copy of Playing for Keeps. So, I mean, oh, that's, wow. that's, yeah, I don't that's know how many cool. were printed, but I'm glad the only one was in my possession. Sure. Yeah, I, I don't remember how many there were, but there weren't a lot. And they decided... Yeah, they didn't want another one, even though it earned out really fast. But, you know, I don't understand small press publishing or large press publishing. I just, you know, try to write, keep Mm -hmm. up with it. Yeah, I mean, that's all you can do. That's your niche, and and you're fantastic at it. I love your voice. Oh, thank you. I mean, uh, going through that book, I really enjoy the audio version a little more just because I have more time for audio books. And it was a great way of, Again, another thing that seems commonplace now, but the whole niche superhero, uh, superhero comedy, this was way before the Marvel Universe became mm-hmm. the big thing it is now. So, yeah. again, another curve you were ahead of. Yeah, that's not a curve you want to be ahead of. <laughs> <laughs> you, you want to catch that wave right when it hits. But uh, I remember, I, I, won't, I won't name any names, but uh, I became very close to having that book picked up by a major press but they didn't want to because there was another much bigger author doing a superhero book that they didn't want me to sort of compete against. And and mm-hmm. I've never had the guts to go up to that author at a con and say, you're the reason I didn't get my superhero book published. But uh, I think it. I don't doubt that. <laughs> can't hold <laughs> that against you. Things have gone fine since then, so I really can't hold too much of a grudge. But uh, yeah. It's it's 
it, it was closed. But then soon after that, more and more superhero stuff started to happen. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we all love superheroes. I mean, not not to be down on anybody's project, but. No, not at all. Yeah, no. I'm not uh, saying mine positive. was better. I was just saying there was room no. for everybody. There, there is room for everybody. And uh, as having enjoyed that book a lot, I really do wish more people had the chance to take it with them on a plane or, you know, uh, read it in bed or whatever they might like to mm-hmm. do with a paper book. Well, the audio is still available for free and the ebook's still ava- available for a little bit more than free, but not much. So mm-hmm. even though you can't get the print anymore, it's there. Let's talk ebooks. Um, when I should be writing was still in its first few years, uh, ebooks weren't really a thing no. yet. I mean, they had existed, but they, they were experimental. Uh, Kindles looked like they were, you know, powered by gerbils inside on wheels. And yeah, they were so asymmetrical. What was up? They were like asymmetrical and they were like, felt like they were just cobbled together with just pieces of plastic, just mashed uh-huh. together that quit, didn't quite fit. And, my mom got me a Kindle, and I was just like, "Wow, this is really cool. It holds how many sto- how many books? You paid how much for this piece of plastic crap? I mean, the inside <laughs> was really cool, but it did not. It was just kids. If you have a, a Kindle or a Paperwhite or a Fire right now, I promise you, it's a hundred times better than the first Kindles. Yeah, I got uh, off on a tangent. I'm sorry. You go. No, no, that's that's fine. This is your show. You're the guest, and I love <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, but my the point I was ca- kind of going for was it, at that time. When it came to self-publishing, it was, no, please don't. I mean, it sounds like a great idea in the moment, but you're just going to regret it. But that was before ebooks. It was before the Kindle. And how has your mind changed on that in the meantime? Well, it's really funny because I never thought of podcasting as self-publishing, but that's exactly what it was. I was just self-publishing audio. True. And um, when Kind uh, Amazon started making the ebooks really easy, that's when I started getting interested in it because again, I couldn't get the book published professionally. So I um figured if people liked the audio and um at the time, I think this might have been a major misstep on the small press's part who bought the book. They didn't ask for ebook rights. Mm. So I promise you I've made a lot more on ebooks than I made on my advance of that book, of the print book. But um, yeah, so I I started I published that since I had the rights to it, and Amazon started to make it really easy. Um, I remember it was it was so sad. I went to a science fiction convention. I want to say like 2006, maybe. It it was somewhere mid 2000s, and I went to an e-publishing panel, and there were three people on the panel. I can't tell you their names, and I don't remember their names. But there were two older women, like maybe 50s, and there in the middle between them was a man who was younger than them, but still not terribly young. I'd say 30s or 40s. And the two women on either side start talking about how this is a waste of time. You will make more money at McDonald's. And the guy in the middle had just published his first ebook, and he was so excited. And he's listening to these two people on either side just talk about how horrible this idea was and how they wish they hadn't gotten into it. And I felt both really sorry for the guy and kind of mad at the conference uh, convention creators for putting these these you know really depressing people on a panel because. You know, all he wanted to do was say, I got a book published. It's available via ebook. Let's talk about it. And it was it was really weird. It was, uh, you know, people were trying to make the ebook thing happen. And 
there was a lot of pushback, even from people who had done it. Basically, they, mm-hmm. they stuck their toe in and said, nope, don't like that temperature. And then they left. And then they went to science fiction conventions and crapped all over it. But, um, you know, things have massively changed. And there's like getting professional voice actors and famous people to narrate your audiobook. And um, I still don't think they're pushing the envelope as much as they could with ebooks. Namely, um, there there are some online magazines doing it. For example, uh, last either last year or the year before, I can't remember, uh, the author Sarah Gailey had a, uh, a short story called Stet, and mm-hmm. it was it had to it was a story told within the track changes part of a uh, of a story. So it had to be, it could not be print. I suppose it could be print because you can print, you know, put little annotations in, but it definitely couldn't be audio. And, but it's the kind of thing where, where they just, you know, said, what can I do with this technology and how far can I push it? And the, uh, this is a hill that I'm determined to die on in that podcasting is not audio release. Podcasting is meant to serialize something that you can subscribe to. Podcasting mm-hmm. became about audio, but you can podcast video. You can podcast mm-hmm. PDFs. You could podcast mm-hmm. computer programs if anybody trusts you enough to subscribe to your program. Mm-hmm. But any file that can be sent over the internet can be podcasted. And when I released Playing for Keeps, I released it. Uh, I also released the PDF of it with a new cover design every week. Um like a comic book. So the, the, the cover looked like a comic book, but then there was the prose. And I just had a lot of fun with the with the available options there. And sometimes I think people are afraid to try that. And sometimes I think the audience is afraid to look into it. We were talking about, um, I went to a panel about nonlinear storytelling at the recent mm-hmm. convention I went to. And we were talking about how uh, the Matrix required you to if you really wanted to appreciate the matrix, I understand the matrix trilogy had so many problems. I'll be the first to tell you that, but they kind of intended you to play the video game. So you could learn Niobe's story Mm -hmm. and go to the matrix website to read all the short stories, including one by Neil Gaiman Mm -hmm. and to watch the short animations done, the animatrix. And that would like give you all of these concepts of, this story mm-hmm. but then we had to talk about who didn't want to go that far who didn't want to do the work i mean you had a lot of people who just liked movies and did not want to buy a ps4 or ps2 i guess um at the time and buy the game and learn how to play the game and play the game well enough to finish it and it's like that kind of storytelling is so mind-blowing and yet it requires more work on the consumer's part and so you i, I guess the real challenges to figure out how much to challenge them how much to ask them to do because you could work harder and get a more interesting story but most consumption is done just by sitting back and relaxing which Mm -hmm. is not bad it's escapism but uh i think it's really interesting how the what we can do with storytelling is just like there's so much and then what will actually sell is much less. So mm-hmm. I even forgot what you had to say, what, what the question was, but. No, no, uh, no. See, the, 
Um, we were just kind of looking at the history, at, at where the medium has come from, yes. and okay, because uh, you know, in the early days, again, I'm I'm listening to you in 2008, and people mm-hmm. are they're getting ripped off by these vanity publishers, so yes. we were going against that. But nowadays, I mean, you don't have to pay a cent to anybody to get your book available on the internet. No, and so if that if that's all you want to do, you have that option, which again wasn't something that was around back then. And I remember you were talking about people who had augmented reality games with their books to try to draw in more listener or more readers. And mm-hmm. again, and just doing something different with the format. Um, and again, for the people who are a little younger than you and I, uh, there there was a time when video podcasts were, were a big thing uh, before YouTube really got its bearings. Well, YouTube was huge, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, people would send video files out on iTunes and you mm-hmm. would just see a new one download and or sometimes you'd, you'd yeah sometimes you'd subscribe to a podcast and sometimes you'd get audio and sometimes you'd get video you didn't know i had a couple of videos out on my feed whenever i went to a co- convention and wanted to say interview somebody in person uh not many but it video was a lot harder and i was completely self-taught with that so that that took <laughs> it was a little bit of a learning curve but again mm-hmm. now it's so much easier but yeah, with YouTube, you don't really need to do that, even though you can subscribe to things on YouTube, which is a podcast. But uh-huh. I think the word podcast is evolving, and I really should not. I said earlier I would die on this hill, but maybe I'll just die on the hill of that's how it was intended. And the word has changed since then. Sure. And maybe you are the perfect person to, for me to ask this, because, you know, earlier in the today I was driving around and I was trying I struggle with this a lot because for everybody – there is an audio feed on this podcast and there is a video feed and mm-hmm. they are two completely different programs with the same content. And I feel a little guilty calling it a podcast because the YouTube section technically isn't. It is totally I... a podcast because you can subscribe via YouTube. You can hit subscribe. They don't say podcast, but they say subscribe. And that's what podcasts are. It's subscribing to content that gets delivered to you as it comes out. Okay, number one, Mer Lafferty just said that I could say this, so I'm going to say it. And number two, that's your signal to subscribe. Hit that little button right there on the screen. That's okay, right. I, yep. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. Podcaster Hall of Fame, baby. Nobody yeah. knew who I was when I went there to get the, the trophy, but mm-hmm. it still says it. So. True, true enough. I got the cred. Is there actually a trophy? There is. I'll go get it for you. Oh, please, please do. Please do. It is right next, right outside in that the, uh, is... in the thing. So, um, I it love is, it. It's really hard because it's completely clear, but you yeah. can see there's, I, I don't even know. Can you see this? I can. Okay. Yeah. I got the, the people on top. Is that better? Stall. Yep. Okay. What's really funny is this is super sharp. I mean, it's, it's like, uh, the author Scott Sigler and I got ours at the same ceremony and we're both walking around going, we could kill somebody with this. This is dangerous. But yes, yes, Podcaster Hall of Fame. It, there, there was, there's a very pretty, heavy, and very dangerous trophy that they give you. The problem is, if you did that, it would be very easy to track down the murder weapon. Probably. Yeah, because there aren't too many of those, so you know, it would leave a very, very noticeable mark. You know what's really cool? Mm. If, if, uh. Two years ago, Sarah Pinsker wrote a award-nominated novella called uh, And Then There Were N-1, where every character was her from a different reality. 
and the murder weapon, one of her was died, was killed, and the murder weapon was the nebula she won. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I I can't rec- I can't recommend the story enough. So it's it's I just loved it. The fact that a friend of mine won a nebula, and when she let me hold it, I'm like, this is a weapon. This is a dangerous, dangerous thing. It's like this big column of lucite, and um, yeah. And then Sarah Pinsker did it there. She she did the the murder weapon with the nebula, which was a beautiful thing. Yeah, <laughs> I've got off on a big tangent there. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Again, you're. This is the what I love about this open forum conversation. Just have some fun, because uh, if you have fun, the audience will have fun. You know, one thing I I did going back to your thing that you do audio and video. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something about it that you get to see people and you get to see their facial expressions and stuff like that. But I had somebody who told me, well, you know, if you release video, I'm just going to strip out the video and listen to the audio. So why are you working that hard? And I'm thinking, well, number one, you're one person. Mm-hmm. Number two, I'm going to start putting little information here and there and jokes and video cues and stuff all over the video just to spite you because <laughs> I can do that in video and I can communicate more in video if I want to. And... um Again, it's more work. <laughs> and working from home, I'm often like working in my pajamas and I'm thinking, oh, that's right. I was going to do video. I don't want to do video in my pajamas. So yeah. I... I, full disclosure, I'm currently doing video in my pajamas. So if. Yeah, um, but give... your hair looks good and you're wearing a T-shirt. So if you hadn't yeah. said that, I wouldn't have known. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're Harry Potter uh, sleep pants here, and <laughs> two minutes before you logged on, I looked at myself, and I realized I have to brush my hair, and the only thing I have is a Barbie comb. It still so, worked. Yeah, it still you. worked. Seriously. If you hadn't said a word, I'd think you, like, just came in from your job, and you had denim pants on under there, so. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. But I'm a firm believer in that uh, – I'm, I'm muddling something Kevin Smith said once, but today's audience is busy and they have they know how they want their content and you have to bring it to them where they are. If they want it on audio, give it to them on audio. Some people are dedicated video viewers and that's how they want it. And I don't want to dictate how somebody gets my content. No, that's great. That that really is. Um, I used to say that the ideal length of a podcast is your listeners commute. Mm-hmm. And there's no way you can dictate that. So mm-hmm. your commute, your 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 length is going to be perfect for some people, mm-hmm. way too short in duration for some. And then like you know, I've only I have a five minute drive to work. Why is your podcast twenty minutes? That's so long. And it's uh you know you just can't keep people happy. But no. you, it it was the commute thing that had me thinking. Um, I knew somebody who made like a two hour podcast, and I'm like, dude, you can't. But he got his core listenership that were just ravenous for his content mm-hmm. and didn't think that his podcasts were long enough. They wanted more. So it's really what the audience you attract. I started doing um, – yeah. for some reason I found weekly podcasts very difficult. And in that strange way of more is easier because you get a routine, I started doing it daily or week daily. Mm-hmm. And I found like a eight minute show every weekday was easier for me than a 20 or 30 minute show every week. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm putting that. out more content. I'm even working harder, but it's easier because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm making it into a routine. I got to do a podcast today because I did a podcast yesterday. I'm going to do one tomorrow. So that's, that's, it's, it's weird how you got to do the little mind hacks to get that going. Yeah. Like I said, I, I literally could not justify calling this a podcast until you just said it's okay. Because like you said, the format's evolving. The word is going to mean different things. And um, I, I really think that the long-form podcasts are very underrated right now. Everybody's saying 20 to 30 minutes. And, I mean, I'm looking at the guys like the Dan Carlin, Joe Rogan, Daniele Bellelli. I mean, they have three, four, five-hour podcasts because their content justifies it. And, and I really like to see, you know, me sitting down with Mer Lafferty and saying, man, you like science fiction. I like science fiction. Let's have a couple of beers and just talk science fiction until the sun comes up. And that I would think that's a great podcast. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, I remember I wanted every single podcast that was out there when it came out because there weren't that many. Mm -hmm. And there was I can't. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, crap. I'm losing my history. There was one person who set up a feed that would just release any podcast he came across. So he, like, yeah. gathered all the podcasts together and just pushed them out. And I think sometimes they were, they were supposed to be short. But it was really just fascinating how I, I just kept reloading that feed because I wanted to see what other people were creating. And now it's like... I create my own. I listen a lot to audiobooks because I don't have a lot of time to read. Mm -hmm. And I'm not listening to podcasts as much. And I feel guilty because I'm still creating, but I'm not as much a part of the people. We were a very tight group back in the late 2000s where we were, you know, you appeared on other people's shows and you helped out mm -hmm. with other people's shows and you promoted other people's shows. And, um, you know, you'd put other people's premieres in your feed just to expose your listenership to them. Mm -hmm. And um, if people are doing that now, I don't know. But like I said, I don't listen to as many as before. Um, I'm starting to get old, old woman back in my day kind of thing. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, I, I was very hungry for all sorts of content back then. It was really cool. The people who'd put out like, like Adam Curry's podcast was like an hour or two every day. And um, yeah, yeah. Well, there, were a lot, there were a lot of long ones. Let me let me run this by you. Yeah. Um, this is the first time you and I have had a proper conversation, but yes. we've actually exchanged emails a few times over the many years. I don't know mm -hmm. if you figured that out or not. Um, but I would come and go from I should be writing many times. I listened to it for years and then I would stop, pick it up again for a few months and stop. And do you know why? Can you guess? No, because you quit writing. No, sort oh. of. I would do that. Had a because baby. I, well, that too. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, Barbie film and everything. Yeah. Um, I would realize that I would get to a point where I would be t t spending so much time researching writing oh. that I wasn't writing. And I had to say, you I ran have down to the rabbit hole. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have to put the podcast aside for a bit, actually write, and then come back to it. And that's what I ended up doing. So every time I come back, it's like, oh, wow. together and i haven't seen you but i bumped into you at the grocery store and like oh wow you did that star wars book that's amazing <laughs> yeah it's uh it's it's funny people tell me they want to listen from day one and i'm like really 
really? You want to listen to somebody who hadn't even sold a short story and listen to her whine about how she understands how publishing works, but still can't manage to do it? It, it, it really, it's, yeah. But, uh, I mean, one thing it has done is, is chronicle all of that. And I've tried to be very honest with the good things and the bad things I've come up against without being, you know, revealing the level of information that would get you blackballed in some industries. Mm -hmm. But, um, no, that, I mean, that's really good that you recognize that and then actually got work done. That's great. I mean, you, you could treat it like a, like a book. I mean, you, you, you read the book and then you put the book aside and then you do the work and then maybe you'll pick up the second version of the book or the second volume or whatever. Well, and, and I come to the theory that I already I got what I needed from the podcast. I know mm-hmm. it's going to be there again if I ever need it again. But the purpose of it was to get me writing. So exactly, I kind of owe it to you, butt and chair. Well, I, I just I just I've been so surprised at how people have gotten very different things from this podcast. And sometimes I think, surely after. 15 years I've said all I need to say about writing but I have to remember that not everybody's going to listen from day one every episode might be someone's first Mm -hmm. and I can give the same thing the same information in a different spin adding my new experience to it but I mean every couple of weeks I'll get somebody saying look you talk about creativity and mental health and you actually spurred me to go to my doctor and get help. And every time I get one of those emails, I'm just like, I can't quit. I know I'm not Joan of Arc out there saving the world, but if one person tells me that I encourage them to work on their creative career and embrace it, but still take care of their mental health, it's worth it. And I mean, I I was, you know, I had a friend in late nineties, I guess, who was a very vivacious person and she fell into a deep depression and then she went on Prozac. And when she came back, she was similarly vivacious, but she had very little ambition. And so like the things I'd, I'd seen her want to go for, she didn't do. And I, I remember hearing people say that, well, Prozac will take you out of depression, but it will, you know, kill you creatively. And that created a Prozac became mental, de- it became depression drug. It became, you know, it's like Kleenex. It's your face tissue, but it's Kleenex. But there are so many other drugs now to help with mental illness that don't suppress creativity. And on the other hand, if I'm going to be depressed and want to kill myself or not be creative and alive, I'm going to choose the not creative and alive. <laughs> yeah. But but it's like I just try to give the the be honest and give the message that, yes, there's creativity and there's work and you want to do that. But you got to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's I am not a therapist. I'm not a doctor, but it's become a big message for me because um I was diagnosed with depression in 2004 in October. And then I went on a antidepressant that takes about six weeks to really take hold. And December was my very first podcast. 
Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so that is literally how the timeline went. Diagnosis, went on the drug, started podcasting, haven't stopped. And so I am just here to say that, that it changed my life. And I really just want people to first take care of yourself and then take care of, you know, your life. And, um, oh, it's not my story to tell, but, but I, I had a listener tell me that, that they had taken my advice and started antidepressants. And then I hadn't heard from them in a long time. And then they got back to me and said, well, you know, when you, when I took your advice coming out of the depression made me realize something else entirely about my life. And I've been changing my life drastically ever since. And I've stopped writing, but I've been, you know, it's not my, it's not my place to give the details here, but essentially someone came out of the depression and changed their life. And just like, and I said, you know what, writing will wait for you when you get settled mm -hmm. and where you're happy. And this was like the, the nicest thing anyone had ever said to me that I helped them find this new area in life that mm -hmm. they didn't know was theirs to take. Yeah. And, you know, I, I I can just sit there and tell you, you know what, if you have a baby, you can write, you might take a couple of months off, you might take a couple of years off, but it's not forever. I can say, you know, if you don't write when you have 30 minutes a day, you're not going to write when you have eight hours a day. I can say that over and over again. And I do, because that's like one of the basic messages of my show, mm -hmm. which is just do it. It's Nike's right. Just do it. Mm -hmm. And you, you don't need permission. You don't, you don't even need a lot of time you can do it i mean chuck palaniak wrote fight club when he was working night shift at a gas station and it kind of reads like that but it works for fight club mm -hmm. but uh it's it's like we put all we put all the walls up for ourselves unless you actively have somebody saying you cannot do this and for some reason you have to listen to them every wall in front of you creatively is is your own design mm -hmm. And I just am trying to tell people with my podcast, just take it down. It's not really there. And really what I'm trying to do is tell people to that, that I'm facing those walls too, mm -hmm. which I always worry whether it's like if somebody hears that, I worry that they're either going to think, oh, great, I'm not alone. Or they could think this will never end. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. what I worry about. It's always like, oh, God, she's been doing this for how long and it's still there, but – I think it's one of those things where when you know, when you know what's happening, it's not that scary and it's easier to fight. Mm -hmm. There's so many authors who get bogged down at like the 35,000 word mark. Somewhere mm -hmm. around that mark, you think, oh, God, this book is crap. What am I doing? And I've heard like veteran writers say this. And someone's like, hey, where are you in your novel? And they're like, oh, about 40,000 words. They're like, this happens to everyone and they'll be like oh that's right you're right i just got to keep going and that's that's just what i'm trying to say to my show on my show sure i am struggling to remember the gentleman's name uh but he is one of the he is the writer of probably more computer tech manuals than ever i mean you go to the reference section in the bookstore with you know all the the languages and the new operating systems and the big mm -hmm. fat books he has written hundreds of them Wow. He he has one hand, and on the one hand he actually has he has a thumb and a pinky. Wow. And, and he does this and manages to crank out those giant, giant volumes. Now, I mean it's mm -hmm. not the subject matter I'm looking for, but it's like if he can do it, you can do it too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also I, I do try to tell people that that if you if you find <laughs> they're they're you the walls you create are your of your own design, but sometimes there are I, I, I talk a lot to new parents mm-hmm. and they're just like, I wanted to do this thing, and then there's this small person who ate my life. Mm-hmm. Help. And I'm like, okay, one, they're not gonna be small person forever. I'm a mother. I know at the time it feels like forever, but it's not. It it the child will change and grow up and become more imp- independent. And um, but also it's like if if there if there is something in front of you, you can go around it or wait and it'll mm-hmm. go away. And I'm bringing that up because because every time I try to compare myself to somebody else, I have to remember my experience is not quite their experience. Right. They might not be a parent. They might not. They might have a day job. They might have a whole bunch of things in front of them, or they may have a whole bunch of things that I have in front of me is it's cleared out for them. And, mm-hmm. but you're right. I mean, if, if, if somebody like has less than you do with certain abilities and they're cranking out stuff, you might think you can make better use of your time. Mm-hmm. I realized it was the 30 minutes to eight hours thing. I hear so many people say they'd love to take a, um, a sabbatical and just go off to a cabin somewhere and write for eight hours a day. And I'm thinking, look, if you don't use the time you have now to write, what makes you think that you'll make use of more time? Because I'm somebody who struggles with like productivity all the time. And so I know for a fact that if you've got eight hours a day, you will fill it with distractions, email, Twitter, dogs, laundry. It's like, oh, oh, I got to just do this thing. And then I'll write mm-hmm. and I got to do this thing and then I'll write. And, and suddenly eight hours is full and you're thinking, okay, what am I going to do tomorrow? I'll use those eight hours to write. And it happens again. So if you've only got half an hour and you want to be a creative professional, start with that half an hour. Because Absolutely. then if you get more, hopefully you'll use it. Absolutely. I mean, and I can't deny that I've had the cabin dream myself. I, I, I don't know if there's a, a real author who hasn't. Oh, no, it's glorious. It's a glorious dream. I totally, mm-hmm. I know that, I know the draw of it. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. I, I really wonder if, if all I need is, is um, a bottle of coffee on one hand and a bottle of whiskey on the other, and I just grab whichever <laughs> one I need at that point in time. Yeah. No, it's a lovely dream. And yeah, it's like, I, I think dreaming that you can have all your time to write is one thing. I'm not saying don't quit your day job if you're able to quit your day job. I'm mm-hmm. just saying if you have X amount of time and you're not writing and you think you will write with Y amount of time, I'm thinking maybe you won't. Mm-hmm. There are always going to be exceptions. I'm always afraid of somebody calling me out on the one exception. I'm sure there's going to be exceptions, but I mean, there's time out there and a lot of us, and again, I literally mean us. I am not pointing fingers except at me, but a lot of us fill it with tablets and social media and television. And if you if you have time to do all those things, you have time to write, you just have to show a little discipline and just go, mm-hmm. you know what, Twitter, not today. Yeah. And it's hard. It really is hard because, you know, as much as people like to say the t- characters talk to you, the books don't talk back and Twitter does. And mm-hmm. it's fun. And there are the people that need to have inspiration just to get the first word on the page. And 
you know what? If you're on Twitter when the inspiration hits, <laughs> that idea is going somewhere. And I mean, at least you want to jot it down on a post-it if absolutely nothing else. Yeah. And if it goes on Twitter, the best you can do is go viral for a couple of days. Yeah. And if you go viral for longer, it's probably for a negative reason. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I remember seeing a comic where somebody had written, like, all these uh, – inter- uh, uh, sorry, reporters outside somebody's house going, you wrote the tweet that changed the world. <laughs> Come out and talk to us. And, yeah. Yeah. It's, social media has power, and then it has very little power. Yeah. <laughs> how you look at it. I, I had an experience earlier this week. Uh, when I was, because I use Twitter almost entirely for professional reasons. I really don't like to do anything personal on there because I'm very cognizant of the fact that 99% of the people in my feed I don't know personally. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to like act like I do. But um, That's somebody. That's respectful. That's good. Yeah, thank you. Um, somebody tried to get into an argument with me. Um, for first, I thought it was just a regular conversation that I realized. Oh, it's not. We're getting mad now. And I just realized that I have to ask, no matter how this goes down, is tomorrow going to be any different? What in your life or mine changes depending on the result of this conversation? Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes want to ask people, what did you think you would gain by that tweet? Yeah. I mean, unless it was make me feel bad, Mm -hmm. which very clearly could be the goal. Sure you're probably not going to gain it. So it's, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard to remember that whole somebody's wrong on the internet, you know, must go fix uh-huh. it. And, and that almost never works. No, it doesn't. And uh, I, I came to the conclusion that social media is just a bad place for really detailed, constructive conversations. <laughs> yes. It's very bad for that. So why are you trying? Yeah. I make a movie, write a book, sit down and buy somebody coffee if that's the conversation you want to have. But 185 characters or whatever it is these days, it's, it doesn't work. So stop yeah. trying. Yeah, one thing I love about or by love, I mean, it drives me crazy about Twitter discourse is when you have something to say and you realize you only have a little place to say it. And you say it as best you can. And someone's like, yeah, but what about that thing you left out? And you're thinking, okay, two things could happen here. One, I really did not think of that angle. Two, I only had a tweet to say it in. Mm -hmm. Do you respect me that I maybe know the thing you said that I couldn't put in the tweet? Or are you just going to think I'm an idiot because I just didn't write a 50 tweet long thread or something? It's... You know, you try to when you when you post a tweet, you are asking people to believe that you understand the nuances behind what's not being said. And that's a big ask. It is. And so and a lot of if people don't trust you or like you already, they're not going to go that far. And, and you're forgetting the fact that I noticed the mistake you made. <laughs> and that means I win. And yeah. so as soon as I point that out people are going to beat a path to my door to give me mm-hmm. the big trophy with the star on it that I can kill somebody with. <laughs> I'm just going to wait for them to knock. Yes. And this is how people want to spend their day. I know. I know. There are people who, I just love the people who have the searches out for like, I liked the last Jedi. 
mm-hmm. just so they can go attack you. It's like, or people, it's like some of them are bots, but somebody had to write that bot. Uh-huh. And you know, when you're dead, when you're dying and you look back on your life and you think, I wrote the Twitter bot that attacked the SJWs about The Last Jedi. I feel great about how I spent my life. I mean, I... Yeah, writing the bot that does the work for you still doesn't make it any better. No. I mean... I I, I couldn't have said it better, honestly. <laughs> okay, now, I mean... So... Years ago, you're writing the little superhero book that you make into a podcast almost mm-hmm. on a lark, and you, years later, are somebody approaches you about doing a Star Wars book. How does that go down? It goes down with a lot of detail that's not exciting. Okay. There's, um, I went through four agents before I found the agent that worked for me, and that story is not entertaining or uh juicy in any way i i wasn't cheated i didn't have a criminal i didn't have anybody try to get my money i just had four agents that i did not work well with they did not work well with me it's it's sometimes i fired them sometimes they fired me this is all making me look like the jerk in this case but i promise you if i could tell you the details it's like eh, it was a lot of a lot of times it was both of us jumping in before we actually understood what they sold and what i wrote Mm -hmm. but i finally hit somebody that I was comfortable with was solidly in science fiction fantasy and you know i felt comfortable did i say that sorry anyway i found an agent i liked and she happened to know the woman who's in charge of star wars fiction and so what the reason why you want an agent a lot of people are doing the whole hey with all the with everything available now you don't need an agent well i suppose not but my agent knew the woman who handles Star Wars fiction. And in talking to her, she's like, I've got a client who really likes Star Wars fiction. And I got a short story in one of the magazines ahead of Rogue One, which was fun because I didn't, I barely was allowed any information about Rogue One, but I was allowed a tiny bit and I uh, had to write it based on that. And then I was invited to do a free story for the uh, A Different Point of View, which was the uh, telling the story of Star Wars A New Hope from different points of view. So I wrote the uh, Greedo's murder through the eyes of the band. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so basically I did a story that paid a little bit of money and was in a magazine. And I did a story that was in a bestseller but paid no money because it was for charity. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, the editor liked me. And I'm hearing, if we get a book, then if I get a book that, that looks like it's good for you, then then we'll do it. And it, it didn't come. And that's the way publishing works. And then I heard that they were looking for an author for Solo. And the, the call came and I, I, or rather the email came and I told my editor or my agent, I may vomit. And I realized she may not get what I mean by that. The fact that I was excited, not mm-hmm. disgusted and had to follow up and say, yes, yes, please. Yes. So it's, it, 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 it was, you know, years of, you know, like a year and a half of like edging toward the awesome end. It wasn't just like, boom, solo. But, uh, you know, it was getting to know the editor and 
talking with her about your views for Star Wars and how you like Star Wars and what you feel about Star Wars and and then having her say, okay, here's this person and I know this about her and I'm looking for the right book that she fits with. So that's that's kind of how that happens. Cool. And except the vomit part that I'm most interested in, the vomit part, because oh. you're you're the fan. You love the stuff. You've loved oh, yeah. it probably since you were little. Oh, and yeah. Then you, yeah, you I was that. I was four when Star Wars came out. OK. Uh, you you get that email. You don't know what's in it until you tap on it. And then they're saying we might maybe possibly want to give you this book. No, there, there was an offer. It was <laughs> there was no maybe. It was like, OK, cool. it was it was there. It was like, you want to do the solo book? They're offering it to you. And so I'm just like, yes. I, I I knew very little about I, I'd enjoyed a couple of movie tie-ins and I'd enjoyed several um books that were original in that world, like Chuck Wendig's trilogy. Mm-hmm. But um but yeah, I I was super excited and I read a lot I read Jason Fry's The Last Jedi novelization, which was it was instrumental to me. It was he did such an amazing job with that book and he told me basically Jason Fry started the book before The Last Jedi, like a scene before The Last Jedi, and he ended the book a scene after the movie ended. And I'm like, you can do that? And so I decided to do it with Solo, and they accepted it. My mind was blown. And it's really funny how some people see the novel as just me spewing out the cut scenes, and they don't really realize that I'm required, not just asked or or offered. I'm required to offer. Words are getting hard. Sorry, it's getting Sorry. late. Um, people don't understand that that one thing they require you to do as writing a story tie-in or a novel tie-in is you have to come up with connecting scenes that would make the narrative flow better as a novel. And so there are some scenes in the book that were cut from the script that I was able to put in. And there were some scenes that I came up with entirely on my own. And um, it was just, it, it was amazing what they let me keep in. And it was a, a big thrill and almost like just good experience all around. And I know people who've not enjoyed some experiences with publishing or publishing IP, but I'm very lucky to say that, that I'm not one of them. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I know that you're probably it's starting to get late on your end there and you've got a lot going on, but I want to make sure that my audience knows where they can keep track on you uh, in the future. So where's the best place to keep track of Mer Lafferty? Sure. I'm at merverse.com, M-U-R-V-E-R-S-E. And that's where you can find my novels and my uh, podcasts and link to Escape Pod, which is the science fiction magazine that I co-edit. And uh, my blog, which basically is lists of podcasts that come out because if I'm podcasting daily, I don't blog that much. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and on Twitter, I'm Mighty Murr. And um, yeah, that's pretty much the two places to find me. Everything about this and everything that we've mentioned will be in the show notes. So if you right. missed it, you can head it up to my website and check that out. Um, I want to thank you so much for doing this because I've been a fan of yours for a very long time. Thank and I'm you. coming on. It was and a lot of fun. This has been a lot of fun. I would love to have you back anytime. So let's keep the line of communication open. Sounds Um, great. But I have to let you go. And I want to say to you this time, 
you should be writing. <laughs> How'd you know I did a bunch of crap today? <laughs> I didn't, but, you know, I did too, so it's a lucky guess. Yeah, yeah. But thank you. Thank you very much, Aaron. This was fun. It was fun. Have a good night. Good night. I would like to thank Mer Lafferty for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the geek resources part of the show today, if you are by any chance a writer or author or a creative person in general, check out Manuscript Wishlist. This is a really great resource for finding out what kind of books are being desired by the market right now, and it might just give you a chance to get some inspiration. And for the community building part of the show today, I'm going to ask, why don't you drop me a line at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com. That's the official email address for the podcast, and I'd really like to hear from you. Thanks a lot and have a good day.